Welcome to episode 15 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to be doing an episode all about news stories. Let's continue the conversation. Welcome back to MADE, everyone. Uh, I'm Jose Valcarzo. With me are always my co-host, Ray Peña. How are you doing? And Claudia Berrigan. Hello. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, and you guys? Doing well. Yeah, doing, doing well. What have you been up to over there in Delaware? Oh, keeping busy. Our uh, our building is finally finally has the foundation and slab in place. Now, that's going to go up pretty quick, right? Because it's a steel structure. Yeah, and the building is, has uh, already arrived. We unloaded it off the truck last uh, Friday. Nice. So it's the building is here. We're just waiting on the uh, the erector to put it up in place, and the slab is prepped and everything is ready. And we had the machine pads. Uh, you know, we have big machines, big heavy mm-hmm. machines. So each one of them has a pad that is 20 inches thick of concrete Jeez. to support. Yeah, it's they're massive. So. Uh, if you've never seen that before, the first thing they do is they, they put the outside foundation, mm-hmm. then they pour the pads, and then after everything is done, they'll put the slab in. So the, the pads are just slab on gray? They're not putting a, like a foundation below that? No, the, the pads are, well, they're large. Mm-hmm. So the whole pad is like a foundation. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think they are about seven foot or so, maybe eight foot wide by 13 foot long wow. with uh, reinforcement and... Uh, like I said, 20 inches thick. So the whole entire pad acts as a, as a foundation, foundation. A machine. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That's pretty cool. No, it's, it's quite interesting. Cool. So uh, when did you say it'd be, it'd be, how long do you think it'll take to go up? Uh, they'll probably put the building up in about a week, maybe two weeks. Um, oh, okay. That's and of course, sure. it, it'll take a little longer with the, uh, the plumbing and the electrical and right. all that other stuff, inspections. But uh, I expect that we should be in that building, um, you know, maybe by October time frame. Hmm. Okay, cool. Well, we, we're thinking about being up there in a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll see We'll see it halfway done or mostly finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, cool. Very cool. What about you guys? Uh, not much, you know. Um, I have some family stuff that I got to go take care of in Florida. So hopefully I won't have to miss a show. But, but yeah, otherwise not much going on. Yeah. yeah, nothing much. I mean, just staying busy with various organizations, various events. Summer is like right in the middle of it here in DC. So yeah, yeah, it's been hot. I haven't I haven't gone out to to sell any more prints because it's so hot out. It's, it's out of control. Yeah, it's been quite warm. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, cool. So this week. We figured since the last couple of weeks we've sort of skipped news. We've been, you know, sort of pretty big topics and or uh, we did a whole episode sort of very much geared about making. Um, we figured we'd do a whole episode just on news, right? Yep. Catch up a little bit and, and just, you know, sort of a, a more relaxed episode, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, filled with features. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of stories here we got to get through, so we might as well get right into it, right? Sure thing. All right, cool. So let's get into our news. All right, let's get into the news. Um, 
we're going to jump around a little bit, but uh, let's start with the first story here, which is called Conceptual Home for Couples Designed to Split After a Divorce. So, I found this on the internet, and I was flipping through, and I looked at it, and I was just like, who, who's this for? <laughs> who goes into a marriage, and they're going to go buy a house, and they're like, you know what, just in case, let's uh, buy this house that splits in case we divorce. <laughs> Ray, didn't you have a name for this at some point? Or like the... um, I may have. Uh, I mean, they don't really call it this, but I would call it the, the divorce house because it's specifically designed uh, for that purpose. And, and, you know, it's interesting because it's a direct response to that, um, the community in which they're experiencing quite an enormous number of divorces. So, uh, you know, this is one of those cases where the the uh, environment affected the development of this prototype. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, still, like, they, <laughs> like, I'm even at a loss for words to a degree, because yeah, divorce rates are high and all, but this isn't quite like a um, what are those things called before you when you get married you sign a prenup. Yeah, prenup. prenup. Well, that's what they yeah. call it. I mean, they actually call right. it a prenup. But this isn't the same because that's a document that you're signing and you're agreeing to a certain thing. This is literally you're going to go make your first purchase of a house and you're going to be like, let's buy one in case we divorce. Like, I feel like that would lead straight to a fight that might lead to the divorces. Well, it's interesting. It might actually uh, help alleviate things because you know that whenever you want to, you can take your half of the house with you. Yeah. Well, and I guess we should say that, right? Because it is a floating house. It is a floating house, yeah. That will, which is quite, in the, I guess it's innovative in the sense that when it splits, they float, they literally float away from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I'm all for this sort of conceptual designs of buildings. I know, I know some people are very, when it comes to architecture, are very much like if it's not meant to be built then why are you designing it for? Like, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't think in that sense at all. Like, you know, I'm all for conceptual. I have a couple of conceptual ideas that I'm working on for home designs as well. Um, this just seems a little, like it's trying to be controversial. For the sake of, con from, for the sake of controversy. Right. Yeah, or, or being practical, like overly practical, right? Like, you go into a marriage... Uh, thinking that and then you know you almost you almost make that decision ahead of time and it's it's a practical decision because it's it's bound to happen or if it happens you're ready for it so mm, yeah. it's it's a practicality i think and we should probably just take like a little half step back and say that this is a an article that was published by dzine uh, mm -hmm. magazine uh in in july and you know what? It's it's weird because uh, they, to me, they they could have chosen to have this house in in any way, shape, or form. It could have been uh, conceptualized in a mobile home. It could have been mm -hmm. conceptualized as a a modular unit on a foundation. But they chose to um, explore this experiment on water. And for me, that was kind of interesting because it's floating and, you know, water is seldom calm. It's always going up and down and it's moving. And, uh, you know, to me, part of it was kind of a, uh, a metaphor for relationships. You know, the, as, as the house is moving up and down, relationships move up and down. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, it is kind of weird when people uh, get married, they don't think about what's going to happen five or ten years down the, the road. 
but this is one of those structures specifically intended to uh, be uh, decomposed, if you will, to be separated during that almost inevitable. The way they make it sound, it's almost inevitable. Everybody's getting divorced. You're going to get divorced too. So right. just be prepared for it. Um, it's a it's a kind of preparation that you don't you don't see and people don't usually plan for. Yeah, I think you've hit it in that. I think the part that I guess turns me off from it is that it sort of skips the the first part of it. Right, it jumps right to the divorce. This is a house made for when you divorce, but it doesn't address like the beginning parts of the marriage when you're still you're in love and you're moving in together and all these things. Like if it, if it was a house that grew in that sense and then at the same time it could also split, mm-hmm. then maybe the whole concept of it would be more cohesive. Yeah. It'd be whole. A little bit more agreeable to you as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but then you can also think of the house since it's floating as an island, right? So mm-hmm. when you get married, you know, like as soon as you get married... You kind of have this tendency of just staying out with yourselves, right? You hang out with yourselves all the mm-hmm. time. You go through this, like, the honeymoon period, that you would call it, right? Is what they call it. But it's, even your friends, you know, you don't hang out with your friends anymore. You're readjusting yourself to, like, sharing this, your entire life together. Like, sharing everything. So, and it's an inward type of space that you create. Like, a, a bond that you create with your significant other. So very much like an island, right? That you kind of like separate from inland. Um, so it's an interesting thing because then later on, as you if you do get a divorce, then you separate from each other. You float off away from each other and you kind of develop your own islands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think to me, this would be more... Splinter su- islands. Right. Yeah. I think to me, this would be more successful... If it started separate, right? Like they were just selling a single unit that is flexible enough that you could put it with others. Mm-hmm. So you're all you both bringing in your halves to make the house, and then obviously it could split back out because. Well, and that's the idea, right? What if like another couple also has their house? They also have the split house. So then house. you can combine it. But you know, if your house doesn't fit my house, then we shouldn't be together. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, you know, you, you touch upon an interesting point because they even mentioned that, that, you know, when when one relationship sours and it it separates and the house along with it, that it opens the opportunity for when new relationships are formed to recouple the house as the new relationships are also formed. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like the house is an exact um, representation of the Tetris of relationships. Yeah, it's like a metaphor, yeah. yeah. Like a Tetris, metaphor. Really, Tetris, yeah, it just collapses down. <laughs> exactly. It collapses, and then maybe you open it up a little bit more, and you know, yeah. the new one forms, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess in that sense, the concept of it is, is there. Mm-hmm. And I, it just, there's a part of me that can't get past the, like, who's buying a house in case. Like, how many people do that? How many people go buy a house in case we split up? Like, it's a tough sell, I think. Yeah. But you know what? It's it's on one in one regard. I think it's clever because when you, if you're a single person, you're only buying half a house, mm-hmm. and then when you, as a single person, it'd be a little bit easier to get half a house than a whole house. And when you are uh, when you meet up with another single person who also has half a house, uh, it it kind of makes this partnership a little bit easier mm-hmm. uh, because you've already you've already. Uh, 
have gone on your own separate routes on this big investment and you're combining them together. And then of course you still re you know, maintain that ownership. But I'm wondering if the way that it's when in use, if you have these two separate houses, that you know that's your half of the house literally and this is my half of the house <laughs> literally <laughs> and you know you walk in there and it's two completely weird separate things right yeah they well, collide together yeah. yeah and i guess that's a little bit of the the grab i have with the article is that they show renderings and they show some diagrams but they don't like show plans of how this actually yeah goes together so it'd be interesting to see the whole design somewhere because they could have hmm? they really, oh of course yeah, yeah. They, they easily could have done that yeah figure that out that's, that's really interesting. Mm. But you know what? It's kind of what you said, Jose, you know, conceptual architecture, conceptual design. Mm -hmm. I, I'm with you. I think uh, um, I agree that I, I like ideas that are conceptual because they are become seeds for other ideas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're always making stuff and designing stuff, uh, if you are designing, you realize that when you start designing with one idea, when, by the time you get to the end, you can be completely in a, in a whole different mm -hmm. uh, direction than when you started. So... Uh, as far as a seed for ideas, I think conceptual architecture and design are valuable in that in that regard. Right. Um, and even if it's not for the original designer, at least for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I yeah, I'm completely about that. I know I I've met a lot of architects that their whole mantra was like, if I'm not designing it to be built, then why am I doing these drawings? Yeah. You know, and and that's fine. That's their way of looking at it. But you know, as a designer, I think the conceptual design helps you it helps you bring ideas to projects that are for a specific person as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah it's all about developing your voice so cool all right well that's anything else i'm going to move on to the next story mm, no then i think it's definitely an interesting concept i like the floating part of it jose would not do well no. i think we would definitely no. divorce just because of the fact that it's <laughs> yeah, already in a floating <laughs> except you could keep the house because i can't you, live in yeah. a floating house which, you know, like one, one interesting fact is that uh, women end up, um, I think there's like statistics behind this, that women end up coming out at a higher economic standard out of a divorce than men usually. So. Yeah, that, won't, that doesn't come as a surprise. <laughs> so, yeah, so this would be, this would be definitely a good thing. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Let's go into the next story. So, our next story is about Harvard printing metal in midair. Ray, why don't you tell us a little bit about this story? Yeah, I'm, uh, when I saw this, I was in, in disbelief, really. Uh, I couldn't believe that this was even happening. Uh, this is a, uh, an article published in May of this year hmm. uh, by uh, Interesting Engineering. Um, you'll have a link to that in the notes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, where, uh, I guess... We, you know, we have to touch a little bit on, on just regular 3D printing. Typically, when you're printing something, uh, you're on a substrate mm. of some sort, either it's a plantain or, or what have you, that you are, uh, through an additive process, you know, putting layers down over and over and over until you have a three-dimensional object. So, uh, and, and if you have any, any spaces that need to be bridged, you still need to support your printing with mm -hmm. internal structure. Right, any overhang, any kind of lever needs to have some structure that then you tear off. Correct. Right. So, um, from that regard alone, this is an enormous departure. Right. Couple that with the fact that they're doing it with metal, 
and it's a blow your mind out of the water. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I actually seeing here? Is this even, is this the future? <laughs> <laughs> so they have designed a special silver nanoparticle ink that is extruded through a, uh, of course, a very special nozzle at a very controlled rate. And it is uh, through a, a 3D printing platform that is, does not confine it to printing solely on a surface. Mm -hmm. And a laser strikes this ink as it's being extruded and that uh, fuses the particles in the, in the ink into solid metal. Uh, they, they call it annealing. Uh, and I don't know if they use that word uh, for a lack of a better description. But to me, it's, it's more akin to laser sintering. And mm -hmm. we covered that, I think, in a couple of podcasts ago, uh, what laser sintering is. So uh, it's uh, quite fascinating because now you can emerge with a metal 3D printed object that is not confined to being layered on a, on a surface. And they've uh, used a few exemplars of uh, springs and in fact they did some butterflies and some very interesting wired connections that, that bridge over other wired connections. Hmm. So the possibility of, uh, of using this coupled with other 3D printing technology to do some very innovative and never before seen um, uh, prints I think is, is a huge leap into that future that we often mention of the, of the, uh, the, the replicator. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing that's impressive to me about this is that, you know, it's, there are a lot of 3D printers out in the market right now, right? The thing that they're all trying to do is make it more user-friendly, you know, mm -hmm. more accessible to the average person to do it. You know, 3D printing, when you spend, you know, $1,000 on a 3D printer, you still, there's a lot of, there's a big learning curve, there's a lot of software to learn, there's a lot of, like, tweaking and learning and how technique, to And technique, yeah. Yeah, and technique to it. And everybody's trying to make the easier one to do it with. And this sort of seems like a step in the right direction where you don't necessarily have to know exactly if, if it can print the way this is showing, you don't necessarily have to have a vast knowledge of how to 3D print. You can just start doing it. You yeah, know? you model whatever yeah. your model is and it will it, it will do it with however complex the shape. Right. Um, and it's funny because when I first started seeing this, it reminded me that we, we saw at Maker and I seen it a couple of other places, that the 3D printing pen. Yes. And uh, in the advertising for it, they make it look so easy and, you know, people start going up and making a cube or whatever. I tried using it when we were at, at Maker Faire and that thing was not easy to use. <laughs> um, it's not as self-supporting as you might right. be led to believe. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think, Claudia? So... I, I think, yeah, I agree with everything that you guys said, specifically, yeah, like, when we tried the, the, the pen was, was really hard to, to maneuver, mm -hmm. and I think the biggest parts were, like, user error type of thing. Hey. <laughs> and not so much about, you know, because you, you need to develop a um, practice, right, when you're using these things, mm -hmm. but I have a question, since it's using nanotechnology, what does it use specifically, it's like nano... Um, Silver nanoparticle ink. Yeah. So what is is that what the material is made out of? Yeah, the the ink has a suspension of of uh, tiny particles of silver, so that when the laser strikes it, it fuses them all together into a solid mm -hmm. bit of metal. Got it. So 
that's an interesting thing because then my 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 second question was like well what do you like what can you make with this you know as far as scale is concerned like um like what what are the possibilities of of parts like is it is it is it that broad that you can well, make anything out of this well or? right now uh, i think i think you're you're a few steps ahead right now mm -hmm. it's a an emerging technology they've just uh, figured out how to do this. So typically when something like this happens, there's a period of time where it needs to be developed and then the application is, is figured out uh, where they're using silver nanoparticles. That's a bit too expensive to right. be used in, in an economical manner uh, for wide, wide uh, practice. But as they learn how to manipulate this technology, they'll adjust it for, let's say, copper or steel or aluminum. Mm -hmm. um, aluminum will probably be the way to go for a commercially viable product, um, and uh, because you know aluminum has a, a relatively low melting point, uh, I think it's 1,100 degrees, and you're melting aluminum. So uh, I think that's probably in the direction. But but this was the first step, so it's re it's really hard to answer your question um, mm -hmm. uh, because of that. I mean, this just came out in May, so they've uh, this was the first published report of it. So it'll be very interesting to see maybe in a year's time where where they are. Yeah, because what's interesting to me is that is the nano part because it seems like if if you were to use it for aluminum, uh, it's almost like stepping like using a high end technology and then stepping back and using you know to use that technology for a um, not so advanced to use it on a not so advanced product. Um, yeah. as far as that technology is concerned because the one thing that I can relate to is like um, so I did some I took a class on risk assessment and just about nanotechnology as a whole and um, the risks of of the toxicity behind products that are, are made with nanotechnology mm -hmm. are pretty high because you know yes. most of those you have the, you have to regulate uh, most of the products that are out there and whether they're you know, very simple, you know, silicone gels or like simple, you know, it, it, it could be used for, for a tiny little piece of something that ends up being used in, in some type of product, right? So it doesn't have to be an actual product itself. It could be a part of it. Um, but the, the toxicity or the fumes that it can emit or how, how it was produced, I mean, there's so much risk involved in the fact that the technology keeps advancing so quick that the regulators are not catching up to it is always an issue when it comes down to nanotechnology. So it's interesting that now 3D printing is also following the nanotechnology um, pattern, I guess, or, or, or it's nanotechnology is affecting 3D printing or they're being combined right now. And, you know, cause now we're seeing 3D printing as being a mass mass um product right mass mm -hmm. end product mm -hmm. so it's it's i i've i i always take the precautionary principle when it comes down to to new technologies like this but it's it's an interesting concept because there's so many possibilities as well so you can't be too too cautious yeah well i think you hit on a very interesting uh point there uh with the whole nanoparticles in a lot of uh, products and in particular i think you're referring to the toxicity in consumer products uh, mm -hmm. and risk to mm -hmm. to health and, and how they just really don't know 
all of the factors that would contribute to that toxicity. Yeah, that's um, our Yeah, there's there's a lot of unknown. But what what you're uh, what you're basically saying is that this na this explosion of nanoparticles, uh, particularly now arriving in a 3D printing arena, is really a a boon to the nature of that technology because of its its applicability. It's showing up everywhere because it is. A, a technology that is showing a lot of promise, and like a lot of things, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, when I when I think about coal, when we didn't understand coal, uh, people ended up with black lung for a very long time before they realized where it was coming from. So every technology, every innovation has a certain level of risk until it's it's realized. Mm -hmm. But I think they are far ahead of it now than they were 200 years ago. You know, uh, with the advent of, of technology during the Industrial Revolution, things were discovered when there was a catastrophic failure. Right. I, yeah, think I think we've learned a lot of lessons from, you know, asbestos, from coal, from all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things were learned. So I think they're, they're being very proactive uh, with their concerns. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but, you know, it, it is very hard to regulate something when you're not sure what it's going to do. Yes, that's the hardest part of it. That is the hardest part, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and let's be honest, even when stuff is regulated, a lot of people don't realize how you, what safety you're supposed to take with things, you know? Yes. Like you, you should wear respirators sometimes when you're using certain glues, and people yes. don't realize that. You know, even certain do, woods. Certain woods can yeah. be very toxic. Yeah. yeah, if you're sanding MDF, that, that, that has formaldehyde, as you're sanding that, those particles that get in your lungs, that you should be wearing something while you're sanding certain, certain things, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is such a good, yeah, I'm glad I, yeah. yeah. So. I'm feeling proud of myself here, yeah. And you know what, before we get off on this, uh, one little note, because you were talking about regulation and all that, uh, it, asbestos in particular, I believe it was 19, I think it was 1974 or somewhere around there, uh, there was a, a big deal about uh, asbestos and it became illegal to use it mm -hmm. in consumer mm -hmm. products. Yes. What, what our listeners, and maybe you guys may not be aware, is that the uh, manufacturers that were using asbestos lobbied and the law had a little small provision that said anything that you already made that has asbestos in it, you can still sell. Even though we're saying that it is illegal to sell anything with asbestos and you can't use asbestos anymore from this point on, if you've already made it, mm -hmm. you can still sell it. It's grandfathered. So, yes, it got grandfathered in. So they were selling asbestos products you know, roof products, siding, floor tiles, all kinds of materials until the early 80s. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. And because a lot of the manufacturers saw it coming, they knew it was coming, so they ramped up production and they, and they stockpiled it, and they lobbied for that little provision, and they got it. And so even though they knew it was harmful and it was prohibited, they were still allowed to sell it into the 80s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So sometimes the policy doesn't quite work as you expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hopefully they'll learn from that too. <laughs> yeah, well, and nowadays do your research and you know look at look at things, learn how they should be used, l learn what's in them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then you could always get sued, right? You, the, the, the fear of getting sued is <laughs> a lot yeah. bigger than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, and speaking cool. of things that are dangerous and somebody could get sued over, let's talk about the mini metal foundry. Oh, yeah. Casting metal at home. This is a very cool video that I know you found, Ray. Yes. Um, so that, that was well, a little bit about Yeah, this. Let, me, let me just start by saying we do, not, we do not recommend you go and do this. Uh, no. 
It's uh, it's included here simply for a a, um, a point of interest and to explore the possibilities of casting metal at home. Mm -hmm. But it is dangerous, and I don't recommend anybody. We're not saying go home and start pouring molten metal everywhere. No. <laughs> After having said that, um, it's quite interesting when you're making things, and you know mm -hmm. a lot of makers are very interested in, in including metal in their uh, in their projects. Sometimes it is very difficult, particularly if you don't have the tools of, of uh, using subtractive processes mm -hmm. to create intricate patterns. And uh, as some of the listeners may be aware, and as you guys are aware, I work in a machine shop, and, and subtractive processes is how we manufacture all the components that we manufacture right. uh, for industry or making machinery or whatever it is that we're making. So wait, wait, before you move on, to explain to people what you mean when you say subtractive. Because so, some people may not realize what you're meaning by that. Okay, so a subtractive process, you start with a solid piece of metal mm -hmm. and you remove the parts you don't want so that the parts that you do want remain. And in that regard, it's the exact opposite of 3D printing. Mm -hmm. Where 3D printing, you're only printing mm -hmm. the solid parts you want and that's an additive process. Right. Mm -hmm. And an example so, of a subtractive one would be a CNC machine. Correct. So you start with, let's say, a, a solid piece of aluminum and you hollow it out and you make like an electronic uh, box enclosure, uh, as an example, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, a frame of some sort. Uh, so, and, you know, you could start with a square piece and you turn it and you turn it into a round shaft. So you're removing mm -hmm. all the material you don't want to create that. Right. Your lathe, for example, are basically a subtractive. Correct. A lathe right. is a subtractive process. Right. The saw, a, a simple mm -hmm. saw mm -hmm. uh, they use every day to cut pieces of wood, it subtracts the, the area between the part you want and the part you don't want. Right. And, and that's how you, you get a piece cut to length. Mm -hmm. Drilling mm -hmm. is a subtractive process, so it's very common. Right. Yeah. So uh, sometimes it's, uh, that is not an economical or even feasible method of, of fabrication or manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So uh, a very attractive alternative is to simply uh, melt metal and pour it into the shape you want. And in that regard, uh, this uh, individual who is actually a very well-known um, YouTube sen uh, personality, let's call it. Personality, I would say, yeah. Uh, the king of random uh, has a foundry. Now, he didn't invent this. This has been around for a long time. And if you do a search for homemade uh, foundry or backyard foundry, you'll find many, many, many examples. Mm -hmm. I like his example because it's fast-paced and it gives you a good, uh, a good idea of what it, what it takes to make one and what it can do. So uh, for those makers who are, who are playing with the idea, obviously be very careful and mm -hmm. uh, you know, do diligence and do caution, but it is a, a, a possibility um, for for making things at home relatively inexpensive from materials you already have like old soda cans right. you know uh, you can take and melt uh, stuff that's aluminum that's lying around and turn it into something else mm -hmm. but what yeah. did you guys I'm not sure if you were even familiar with this uh, that this was a thing and there are many websites that are that support this kind of backyard making but uh, I'm just curious, once you guys saw it, what you th guys thought? I mean, I thought it was very cool. Like, I was, I was, I was, I was glued to it watching. I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's see how this guy's going to do this. Because he even uses it, like, as a, when it's not being used, he puts a plant in it or whatever. Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. And 
as it went along, I'm like, this is extremely dangerous. <laughs> yes, yeah. And he's making it look so easy, which is great, because I think that's the great thing about the internet and YouTube, is that you can share ideas and how to do things, and people can learn very easily. Um, but the more I saw, the like, he's making this seem way too easy for people. Um, and, you know, there's people that, that make their own jewelry and, and things like that. They should clearly start with low heat melt metals like pewter or something. Yes, yes. Do oh, not lead, jump even into, lead is better. Yeah, do not jump into trying to melt aluminum. Uh, uh, pouring it, um, because this is extremely dangerous, I thought. Um, and you better have a, a lot of space to, to do this in. Don't make this in like a balcony or something. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, so I think there's a lot of warnings that were missed by by this guy um very cool video but yeah like i, I feel like like extreme warnings should be all over this like yeah. be careful if you're going to jump into this and this is part of his delivery his delivery is always it makes everything looks easy and simple right uh so all his videos are like this yeah. uh, so anyway <laughs> yeah i was not familiar with him but i was like he made this seem too easy if you're thinking about doing metal do not start with this start with something else yes and work your way up to this mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I, I, I also found the, the quality of how he was showing the how-to was pretty cool. And the, the, the narrative, like the storytelling of how what he was doing. Um, and also, you know, like, oh, and then this is also a pot. And you could also put a, a plant in it and you can hide it as a plant. And, you know, that made that point across like that, the fact that, you know, oh, it's, 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 it also has other purposes. Um, but it's funny because, Ray, you called it backyard making, I think, right? Backyard makers. Yeah. backyard I, boundary, yeah. Mm -hmm. My first description was a shock, like a shock maker. Like, you know, there's shock jocks on radio. Uh-huh. And to me, that's, this guy is that, is like a shock maker. <laughs> like, extreme. Like, he takes it to the extreme. Like, he says, I love experimenting in his, in his, um, in his, um, about, you know, page he says like i love experimenting and creating and he actually says that m multiple times even before and after the show like what's the purpose his main purpose for doing this is so that he could inspire people to create but you know at one point he also like says you know he his main goal was to help better the lives of those who watch his videos and i think that's so not <laughs> the case um because it's so it, it's more about him and like how much he can shock others through science, which I think it's good, um, because it gets people, you know, to be more inventive. But there's a line that gets crossed a lot, I guess. Maybe I don't know. I, I really don't 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 know much about him. But it seems like if I were to watch more of more of what he does, I'd probably be concerned about that line being crossed at all times, just like I am with shock jocks. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, like about making stuff so it's it, it's you know the 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 feasibility or like the ultimate result of what you're doing why you're doing it and the impetus of you of why you're doing whatever you're posting on youtube it gets lost yeah so hmm. but yeah but i thought it was really interesting i like i liked how he he how he goes through the steps that was pretty cool and I guess we should probably say that, uh, you know, we are not affiliated with him at all. We just right. thought this would be an interesting 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's an interesting point of discussion. That's really the only reason we're talking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we've never met him or anything. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it, it is extreme, though. <laughs> That's how I would call it. Very well produced, not very well beginners. shot. Not for beginners. Definitely no, not a beginner. Anything, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, not at all. Um, and uh, you know, you guys may be aware of this: is that I used to uh, manufacture jewelry when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that before. Yeah, yeah and we had a, a whole casting department. The metallurgical lab also included casting. Mm-hmm. And we used a method called centrifugal casting, which if you think this is dangerous, mm-hmm. um, you, don't, you've never, you don't know how dangerous it can be. So imagine all this molten metal in the, in the, uh, the case we were using gold and, and uh, silver and uh, platinum and other uh, me- you know, precious metals. Imagine uh, that you're melting metal and then making it spin around as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, if everything goes right, is perfectly safe. But sometimes you miscalculate and you put too much metal in there. And the extra overflows and splashes everywhere in molten form. Um, considerably more dangerous mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, than absolutely. this. Yeah, yeah like but, the only thing I could, the only thing that I was thinking that he could make more dangerous and this is like to show somebody how to like try and do uh, glass blowing in their backyard or something yeah. <laughs> like, don't do that you can lose an eye <laughs> yeah you know so yeah but that's all part of personal risk assessment <laughs> <laughs> personal individual risk assessment yeah, yeah. you know I, my <laughs> risk of, my risk tolerance is rather high <laughs> yeah but you're also responsible right <laughs> You have a certain level of ethical and you know and personal responsibility that you hold yourself accountable for. Yeah. Some people don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just never know. You just never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, cool. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's go to the next story then. Uh, uh, let's see, let's jump around a little bit. Uh, how about this one? A thousand dollar three D printed with soil. Um, so this is pretty cool. It's. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Ray? Well, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm sure when I when I put that title in there, you're like, "What the heck is this?" Um, did you guys? What did you? Before I mention anything, what did you guys think of the idea when you went through there? Uh, I mean, I'm a little skeptical that the, the that way it's possible. that it's possible, right? The way this is phrased, because um, the the title says one thing, you know, but it's it's can we build a house for a thousand dollars with 3D printed soil? Right, that's really the headline. Yes. And and I get that they're talking about not necessarily here, like in the states, but like this is more for you know third world countries or places that need a low. At least that's the way that's the way I understood it. It's for a pla- for places that need sort of um, low cost housing and a lot of it. You know, like you would go somewhere in Africa and do this. That's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. But even at that point, I don't know that you can do it for a thousand dollars. With, I mean, this machine by itself has got to cost. Oh, I mean, it's a million dollar machine. Right. Yeah. So if you're doing it for a thousand dollars, I mean, even the material to create a shelter has got to be more than a thousand dollars. Even if you're using mud, you, I, I don't know. It, it just the logistics of it to me were not explained well enough. Mm-hmm. Other than it's sort of like, yeah, we can do this with this machine for a thousand dollars. Um, and this machine is enormous it, I see this picture of it next to this guy and it's like getting this machine to a location where they could do this is probably close to costing half of the budget you know Yeah. 
So how are they doing this for $1,000? So mm -hmm. I think it's a great idea. I just don't know that it, that it's possible the way they're talking about this. Yeah. What about you, Claudia? Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Ray. Um, I'm still trying to figure out. Okay, well, mm -hmm. the, I think it's interesting. Now, this article uh, brought to us by 3D Printing Industry, um, is, uh, it was published in June of this year. I think it's interesting because it is a, a, one of those first step ideas. Uh, I think this was a concept that they said, well, I, I think we can print a house for $1,000, but it's, uh, it has yet to be um, applied in a practical sense, and in fact, they're currently looking for uh, investors to actually do the first model. So I found it quite interesting because the idea of using soil or dirt uh, for a, a, uh, a dwelling has been around since people were making dwellings. When you think of old mud huts or wattle and daub construction, um, even adobe homes, and I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, the earth ship concept, uh, that's mm -hmm. been quite popular the last 15, 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, so the the concept itself of using dirt or soil is not new. Right. Uh, but I think the advent of the technology to be able to uh, create these beautiful f uh, forms and to do them so precisely, and it's one of the things I like about it is that you can clearly tell that it was 3D printed. I mm -hmm. think that it's that nature of the method of construction where every tool, as you mentioned in previous podcasts, every tool leaves its mark. Uh, it's very clear here. Uh, the way that I, when I was reading this article and, and looking at uh, the, the process, the way I thought about it is that this was perhaps a, a truck-mounted uh, printer, and you would you know, go into a village, and they would take raw materials from the site right there, process the materials, and immediately start printing homes, and they'll print, they can print homes uh, you know, basically 24 hours a day and build a village and then move on to the next village. And so as a method of using sustainable material, the earth itself that is right there to create these, uh, these dwellings in relatively quick time, uh, I thought that concept and for low expense, I'm, I'm still with you. I don't know how much this is going to cost when you have to put a million dollar machine on the back of a truck. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think conceptually, we're, uh, as we're, same before I think it has a lot of potential yeah I think that the idea is great but I mean this is not the first 3d printer that's trying to make buildings using using sort of the earth material mud or whatever we've seen other machines doing that they're much bigger they're you know almost the size of a house to move around yes. and whatnot it's more of a three-axis type printer this is more of an arm I, I so I understand there's a slight difference to those other machines I just don't think it's a new concept. That's why the fact that they think they can do it for a thousand dollars, it makes me a little skeptical. Because mm -hmm. that is an extremely low amount of money. Yeah. You know, even if you had said five thousand dollars, I would be less skeptical. Yeah. And this is the extreme show. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is the extreme show. Oh, extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I what I find interesting is the the idea that this is you know it's I think the reason why they're also saying about the thousand dollars is because of the material. Um, the, the fact that the material is technically free, right? Um, yes. It's soil is free, so therefore you can, you can use it and you don't have to account for that. But, um, you know, and then the other thing about the material is that, you know, like they mentioned, you know, it's natural, it's cheap, it's biodegradable, it's strong and unbaked material from the ground. 
Um, but what I find interesting also is, so by the way, we don't call it third world, third world countries anymore. We call it undeveloped countries. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I apologize. In, so in less developed countries, um, one of the big things is climate change is affecting everyone, right? And, you know, well, that's one of my, one of my um, questions as far as resiliency and how the, how mud construction or soil, you know, like adobe housing and the, that type of housing uh, or dwelling withstands um, weather, weather factors. And the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, because of climate change, there's a, there's a lot more um, heavy, you know, like, you know, there's longer winters, like really heavy rain pours, you know. So there's just the, the effects, the impact of climate change are, are huge. So doing that, knowing that, and the fact that, you know, you like, yeah, you can build something out of soil in the, the, the primitive way, you would call it, um, which is fairly cheap uh, to do it this way and then for it to just be destroyed right away. You know, it just takes, it takes away the whole sustainability factor for me. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it's not, it's, it's not helpful to anybody. <laughs> Uh, even as a concept, well, mm -hmm. which I, I, I agree. I think as a concept, it's a good idea. Um, perhaps maybe for the interior of a house. That's the other point that I wanted to make. You know, because, you know, we're thinking that, yeah, it's most of the stuff that they're showing at the scale that they're showing in the images. You know, they're showing like a, 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 a column, a beautiful column. So you could combine this with other with other construction, right? Mm -hmm. And have this 3D printed uh, soil based products that, you know, like you're using within the house. Um, maybe wall dividers or stuff like that that are already inside. And that would be interesting. Um, so that maybe the scale gets reduced and it's not the entire house. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and I, I mean, think, um, I was just going to say, I, I think I would be less skeptical if they showed more of the structure they're saying they're going to build for $1,000. Yeah, they were only showing little bits and pieces. Right. Yeah. But I do think they are. Uh, this is a, a big push into mm -hmm. something that is just beginning. It's in its infancy right now. Right. And I think that they might address the issue of longevity of the structure, uh, you know, with the first project. That, uh, right now, I think they were just coming up. With the fast-moving world that we're living in, I think everybody's trying to get everything out as soon mm -hmm. as we can, and uh, I, don't, you know, I don't think it's completely ready for a commercial development at this moment. Uh, but it'd be very interesting to see how it develops, mm -hmm. especially with that first project. Yeah, yeah, because it's clearly they're trying to get the funding so they could do it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think I think I'd be more willing to give them money if they were. I think at a point where I thought they were more realistic like even if you did 5,000 to me it would be like oh okay well that's that's still really inexpensive I like it yeah so yeah pretty, pretty cool though I like I do like the design of the columns they're printing that's well that's yeah. beautiful because yeah. you cannot manufacture that in a right. conventional manner right yeah and I appreciate the fact that it's clearly a 3D printed thing you know like we I think it was when we saw the the design of the first 3D printed office building or whatever that you could not tell yes, it was in a Dubai. 3D printed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could clearly not tell it was 3D printed. So, yeah, and and it was a little bit of a mystery on how they managed the logistics. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. So, uh, going to the next story. Let's go into yep. the next story. Cool. 
Uh, all right, how about this one? Robotic furniture is our future. What do you guys think about this? Um, I'm kind of curious. Where uh, where'd you where'd you find this? Uh, well, I mean, I have I have different apps that aggregator apps, and I saw it in one of those. But I mean, it comes from The Verge. Okay. Um, it's the the name of the the website. Um, but yeah, I, I have you know one of those aggregators, and I flip through stories, and when something catches my eye, and this caught my eye because I'm I, I like robots. <laughs> I'm not making a secret of it. Yeah. yeah. I thought it's an interesting idea, but it seems to me like it's specifically geared for one specific market. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, forget about what it's going to cost because, you know, I, I don't really, for this project, I wouldn't even consider the cost. Uh, the idea of having a, uh, this is like, for me, like the Swiss army knife of furniture and, and home appliances. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I look at it, like the Swiss Army knife of that, because it's got like, it's it's bedroom, it's living room, it's kitchen, it's all these things uh, mm -hmm. combined, which I thought was a beautiful uh, way of of putting all the machines that we use in our everyday life and you don't think twice about them in one central location. Mm -hmm. So I, I I found that interesting. The the I guess the uh, the exemplar that they've used is a little underwhelming when it comes to design. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a big block. Yes, it's a big block. It's a, so mm -hmm. so as far as design is concerned, I I looked at it. I'm like, wow, that's kind of underwhelming. And part of it kind of reminded me of uh, the Fifth Element. Remember mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that yeah. movie? Yeah, where, Bruce Willis. Yeah. yeah, his tiny little apartment where everything did more than one thing, and mm -hmm. it's all kind of folded up into the walls. Yeah. It it kind of reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. What about you, Clay? Yeah, um, it's it's. I think it's an interesting topic. I mean, I thought that Ray was going to mention that it, when he says that it's for a specific, um, I guess audience market. in mind, market yeah. in mind, and that's that's you know single single people, hmm. um, living in small spaces, living in small exactly. Yeah, and and you know, well, that's an important thing. I think that for that particular market, this definitely helps. But um, as far as robotic furniture as a whole, you know, mainly looking at the title, um, the the objective is to make things uh, more practical, right? Because you have so many things in a house mm -hmm. that take up so much space, and mm -hmm. you have this idea of being a minimalist. And I'm totally like I would if I could be a minimalist, I would. Um, and for example, I can I can think of one specific instance in, in in my career that I was I probably spent a whole week for one of the firms that I was working for in trying to find the different types of um, what was it for libraries? You know, it was it was for oh, our panel, um, for our materials shelf. library. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we wanted to make you know fit that in a small closet, like small area, small room. And uh, it's those catalogs that you basically uh, you move, they, move. They're on rails and they slide. They're on rail and they slide. Yeah, and they slide. And I like it was funny because I got so invested in this in finding the right one, you know. And because it was so important, I you know I was the one who was filing a lot of this, <laughs> all of our products. So therefore, I wanted to find that solution, and we ended up buying one, and it did it did work. I mean, I I left the firm by the time that they moved and then they installed it and everything. But 
the idea of making like a large footprint of stuff into putting it in the into a smaller footprint and you know for it to be automated mm-hmm. uh, and like that is that's that's a good concept that's a good idea to have I think um, okay so yeah. that is where they like beta switched me on here right mm-hmm. because where's the robot yeah. There's no robot. In, there's no robot in here, right? Yeah. That's like you tell me, oh, I'm gonna give you a robot that's gonna uh, clean up your house, and instead of giving me a Roomba, you give me a broom that snaps together, right? <laughs> there's no robot here. Like, if this is gonna, if this is really robotic furniture, like it should ask me when I get home, like, oh, you want the desk or the bed out, or like you know those things, and then it does it for me, or makes the bed. Right. This yeah. is freaking flexible furniture. Yeah, like I've seen this Jetsons before. Jetsons living. That's yes, that's living. why. That's why you, if you're asking, if you're telling me robotic furniture in the future, then show me an actual robot. There's no <laughs> robot here. This is this is just flexible furniture. Yeah, like it should learn. If, even if it learned, like oh, you should you, and ask you. Yeah. You usually go to bed at this time. Should I slide out the bed? And then I could say no, yes, you know, whatever. Or the text I I came home with a lady, and it'd be like, oh, would you guys be needing the bed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the robot's even, like, giving the assist. But no, yeah. this isn't doing any of that. <laughs> Turns out lights, yeah. Yeah, like, like yeah. give me an actual robot. This is not a robot. That, that's it my was grade. clearly misrepresented. It was. I, I feel cheated by this article. Well, I mean, it's interesting um, because uh, design-wise, I don't think it's spectacular. Right. Uh, I find the concept kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And consolidating everything in one place means that this is such a big heavy thing if you ever have to move you're not going to you're probably not going to be able to do this on your own right uh you'll so you need to have it installed and you need to have it moved so if you're in one place i think it's it's kind of interesting if you have to save some space uh but i'm not in love with it i'm not in love with it yeah, I, I agree completely with everything you guys both you guys have said. I'd be willing to forgive a lot of that stuff though if there, if it was an actual robot. Yeah. <laughs> if if it actually did some of the stuff that a robot does, you know. And if it if it was like a transformer, even better. Exactly, because it already would be like a transformer if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. It would be like a like a furniture R two D two. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to the. Very cool. Let's go to the not next, for Jose. No, not for Jose. Let's go to the next story. Uh, SOM unveil, unveils 3D printed pod. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this story, Ray? Well, um, I, when I uh, when I stumbled on this, I was uh, reminded of the of the of the uh, 3D printed offices that we just uh, mentioned in Dubai. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so when this uh, and this, by the way, was uh, was published in February of this year. Mm-hmm. So it's been a few months. So SOM, for those who, who don't know who SOM is, uh, it's a, a very large um, architecture company, Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, uh, that have decided to uh, pioneer a 3D printed pod that is, to me, kind of like a, a mobile home, you mm-hmm. know, kind of the next evolution of the mobile home. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about this is the fact that it was uh, completely honest. When you look at it, it is without a doubt 3D printed. Um, if you looked at the at the uh, near the bottom of the article, 
they actually show you that these are slices that are printed and then joined together. Uh, there, there's no hiding the, the nature of its construction, uh, which is a complete opposite departure from those 3D printed offices that we, were, we discussed previously. Mm. So uh, I found the idea very interesting. And what I like about it being made from slices is that by the nature of its construction, it is expandable. Uh, so you might have a base unit, but you can continue to expand it and have, you know, add another unit or, or so on and so forth. So I like the modularity of it. They don't cover what it would cost, but apparently they did make a prototype and they unveiled it in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is a very interesting uh, concept um, for a first project as far as, a, you know, a home is concerned. Uh, it has a lot of potential, and, I've, and I'm really very interested to see whether, where this would go uh, when they finally decide if it's going to be a commercially viable product. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. I like it. I, I like the design of it. I like that even though much, while this has the look, very resembles a little bit the sort of uh, that office building that we've talked about a couple of times now. Yes. Um, because it's made in sections, it sort of maintains that look of the 3D printed thing. You know, it looks like the layers that are put together. Yes. So they sort of incorporated something that goes along with the, the process of 3D printing or that we associate with 3D printing into the design and I like that. Um, I, I also appreciate the fact that you could sort of make this thing as long as you want it even, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think they talk about making like the, 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 the longest 3D printed structure at some point. Um, so this is very cool, I like it. Um, one of the things that they mentioned, it's always mentioned by passing, that also caught my attention is uh, uh, a pod that shares power with a 3D printed vehicle. I kind of want to know more about this 3D printed vehicle. Yeah, well. they glanced over that. Yeah. Um, so I like the whole thing as a whole. What about you, Gloria? Well, I think that, yeah, so yeah, I, I agree with everything that you guys said. There's really not much I can add to this uh, other than it looks like a caterpillar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so so that you know gives you a little bit of the of the i guess the sign aesthetic of it that you know it can continue to slither its way through through different neighborhoods or areas because of the of its design it's it, it's not it's not a specific uh, like high-end product it doesn't look like you know, which is what you guys have been saying you know mm -hmm. it, it it is it looks like a 3 3d printed so I can almost see this in in different places in different contexts from mm -hmm. an urban from an urban planner perspective and I think that's that's one of the purposes that they have because they bring up they talk about um, the urban context of it and you know like the city and how not so much the city but the um, the um, yeah like so you know who they partnered with to to create this um, and you know like whether they could use it in even on stadium roofs and, and different other other structures that are more public facilities as well which which I found interesting as well so yeah I, I think that this is one of those doable 3d printed structures um, it'll be interesting to see how they connect as far as expanding. I always like, cause it's, it's almost like another version of a, of, of the small houses movement. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, because there isn't much space in it. Mm -hmm. So that's always my pet peeve. I, I don't appreciate something that's not for the average family. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it can be expanded and there's a car attached to it, that would be really cool. Well, I mean, it, it, I think the proportions are that of a of a single wide mobile home, and uh, you may not be aware, but quite a large portion of the American population actually lives in in mobile homes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we don't see it as much uh, on the East Coast and uh, on most coastal areas where people have a tendency to build foundation homes. But um, when you venture further inland, it is a very very common uh, dwelling uh, module. So uh, I, I think that the, the fact that they chose these proportions uh, is in direct response with the, with the, with the fact that, that it's, it is so common, a, a, uh, a dwelling size and proportion. Mm -hmm. See, and that gets me thinking about the same, the same uh, question that I had before of climate resiliency, because, you know, that is one of the, when, when there's tornadoes and there's, you know, like... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what happens to those structures, right? We already know what happens to, to, to the homes, um, to the um, mobile, homes. mobile homes. So when it's a 3D printed um, unit like this or a dwelling, you know, what, like number one, what are the costs behind it? Is it even cheaper? That would be good, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then also is it how, how, um, uh, how resilient is it to the climate issues? Well, I mean, you, you went to an extreme, because if the tornado, a conventionally built house is not going to stand up to the tornado. Um, yeah. And so. and there is a unique relationship there of attraction between tornadoes and mobile homes. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> that seem to be, they cannot be apart from each other very long. They are right. attracted in a very unnatural way. Yeah. 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 Or, or even, you know, like massive... Um, Flooding, right? Too like yes. I could just see this floating away, like you know. Well, this almost looks like a good float. Actually. And, and, it could, yeah, and that would be like an that. interesting yeah. thing because I wonder if you could also like do this separate. You know, like you could make it your prenup, three <laughs> D printed home. <laughs> it's funny because you're mixing it with that first story. I was actually thinking this is the design they should use for that thousand dollar house printed out of mud. Interesting, yeah. Right, yeah. because yeah, yeah, they yeah. could very easily print this quarter these shapes and then stand them up on or similar shapes to this and stand them up and and then I could see maybe that happening the part that also talks to me about this is that I almost maybe this is just because I work so much in architecture that I'm accustomed to thinking something made in a factory is going to be cheaper than something made on site right yes. yeah. so if you're making these sections on a factor and then you ship them to a location is going to be cheaper than trying to make these sections out on the site. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I like the design in that sense because it's expandable. You could ship this to a undeveloped country, is what we're calling mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, make homes like this at a cheaper yeah. price. And what's interesting is that with the replacement, like you can have a couple of modules that are twice the width mm -hmm. and you've replaced two or three sections and you can have a, uh, you know, a, a 3D pod with, that is twice the width with these interfacing modules. Right. So I think the modularity of it and the sectional characteristics that Claudia pointed out reminds you of a, of a caterpillar. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is that sectionality that kind of reminds you of a caterpillar. Mm -hmm. And it is also one of the key principles 
that lend itself to such flexibility with this with the module. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I thought it was interesting. Now, the one thing that that rubs me a bit is the fact that SOM is involved. <laughs> yes. That I mean, yeah. a, a huge mega mega architectural uh, corporation right. involved in something that that has such potential. I don't think it's because of design, and I don't think it's because of of uh, the possibilities of, of helping the world, uh, I think it's simply uh, you know a question of dollars. We, so that that is the one little hang up I would have on it. So having worked in a large um, SOM esque firm, yeah. not necessarily SOM obviously. So the way that this pro this projects come about are usually not uh, an initiative from the firm itself. Mm -hmm. It usually comes from the mid-level um, associate architects who are teaching at universities and are also working at the firms and they want to investigate farther like they're doing you know they're, they're bored out of their minds working and doing construction drawings so then you know like they get into you know fabrication ish you know like uh topics or like 3d printing i'm sure like that's a big thing or you know, sometimes it's even with their BIM, and you know that's usually that was usually the case then, and um, so they'll build those relationships with other organizations, specifically academics or um, institutions. So I think this one was with uh, the Oak something. It was you know they that basically different uh, research institutions, and then because they work for the large firm. Um, they make the connection, right? And then they're like, oh, this is great for SOM. And then that's another way for these associates to go up in, um, in, 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 the, in the hierarchy of the firm as well, because they're bringing in, you know, like um, these type of projects while they're conceptual, you know, they're working with major institutions and they, a lot of the times are pro bono as well. Uh, but they bring in more, uh, you know, they, they get to get published in different magazines and other places. So it's good for those associates. It's, it's a win-win for both of them. So it's, so, so that's usually where these, these projects come from. Yeah. I like to call it, it was, it's, a it's one of the things the pilgrims do to appease the Indians <laughs> at the firm. <laughs> yeah. they, they throw him this things like, oh, yeah, make a shred of this. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, every once in a while a good idea comes out of it and then they oh, push yeah. it out for good press, you know. I as mean, as much as they can, exactly. Right. And then, of course, they, like, did you even see the name of the, of, of the, of the associate no, architect? Of course not, yeah. Of course you're not, right? You're not going to hear it at all. You're going to see the U.S. Department of Energy... You're going to see SOM like multiple times. Wait, and gonna... Not only do you see SOM, but then they have to go out to the trouble to say Skidmore, Owens, and Merrill later <laughs> to, yeah. to spell out the name of the firm. Yeah, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So that's an EPA-based um, uh, institution. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's, it's exactly that. And, and it gets funded, too. That's the, other, yeah. that's the other crazy part, that most of this is being funded by taxpayer dollars. So SOM is getting such great things from taxpayer dollars <laughs> yeah and getting paid to do it and getting paid to do it and yeah. and 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 they're at the top of technology right, right we're yeah. talking about what the firm that designed the sears tower right so yeah they don't need and the they press. don't need this money they don't all. yeah exactly so 
Anyways. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do one more, and then we'll move on to the next segment of the show. Uh, let's do. So Farmbot is humanity's first CNC farming machine. Uh, what do you guys think about, it? especially you, Ray, because you have a uh, you have a little garden at your house. Yes, and uh, yeah. and I do have quite a bit of CNC equipment. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. both. Yeah. So you could have, you could have come up with this. this you didn't make totally you didn't put it Ray. together. <laughs> yeah, um, the title is quite misleading. Uh, <laughs> calling a farm bot is like uh, is like calling a bicycle a Ferrari. Uh, you know. <laughs> but what if Ferrari makes a bicycle? Like my Vespa, yeah. my scooter, a. <laughs> yeah, going your little scooter or motorcycle. So it's really a garden bot. Right. Um, so it's a, you know it's a small scale robot, uh, because the reality is in the scale of a farm, this is not practical. But but in the backyard, uh, uh, garden environment, I think it's quite an interesting concept. It's quite clever. Um, it takes a lot of the actual mundane work out of the gardening experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, you know, part of that, part of the reason people garden is to be out there and to, you know, pick weeds and watch the, 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 the plants develop and pick fruit or, or vegetables. So I think uh, on the one side, the, my technological uh, side says, well, you know, it's a very clever idea. Uh, it's very interesting. It's a great way to create something that's so manual, make it digital and robotic. Uh, and uh, this will, this I think, satisfies your robot lust as well. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't know to call it lust. That makes it sound dirty. Oh, that was really <laughs> cool. I like that. <laughs> so um, uh, on that regard, I find it interesting. But on the other side, being a gardener, and I'm not a you know huge gardener, but we we grow we grow tomatoes every year and and uh, lettuces and uh, some uh, some years when the soil allows it we'll, we'll grow carrots mm -hmm. but you know we're also fighting moles so we're learning what the moles eat and try to avoid them the next time mm -hmm. uh, because they uh, they do eat quite a lot my goodness mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, you know what so having said that they should have uh, having this as a mole remover CNC <laughs> mole remover now that is a is something that will be very interesting uh, so uh, you know, part of part of being out there is being in, uh, out in the sun and the dirt and the uh, and the uh, air and putting your plants in and, and taking your plants out and picking up the uh, the weeds and putting your seeds in the ground and watering and all those things are part of that whole experience. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so so what the machine does so well kind of eliminates that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of mixed by it, you know, I'm on both sides of it. Yeah, well, I, I was saying that completely. I agree with, with the fact that, you know, isn't that why people want to do no. grow their, their garden? To get <laughs> dirty and to get their hands all... No. Which is one of the reasons why I don't garden, you know? But um, that's one of the... I mean, to me, it's like, that's the whole purpose of getting dirty and touching the, the you know, planning it ahead... And doing that, I really don't want to know, like, I personally, if I'm going to make that investment, I don't want to see my kale or my arugula on my on an app and, and making sure that it's growing, <laughs> you know? Like, to me, that the, you know, if I'm, I'm far away from home, to be able to go and check on my arugula or my, you know, any plant that I put in there, my tomatoes, you know, how they're doing at every single, hour, like, minute or hour of the hour, it's really not something that... I just, I just, 
I think it takes away the whole prop, the whole purpose of. But that's not the whole. Gardening. That's not the whole purpose of gardening. Part of the the main purpose of gardening is that you have fresh vegetables, right? Which I don't particularly care for, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's the whole point of of gardening. So you're still getting your fresh vegetable. You just don't have to do a lot of the work for it. I think uh, what you're what you are hinting is that for some people that it they don't care how it gets done. They just want to have right. food that they know how it was grown. Exactly. Yeah. But for a, for a lot of the other segment of the population that does this, I think that they, they actually have some enjoyment with the the whole gardening process. Right, and they could they could still nobody that doesn't stop them from doing that. You know, they can still go get their hands dirty, but you know, the one that hasn't been doing it because they don't want to have to go out there and put our little rake and a shovel in the ground, they can just use this guy. Yeah, yeah I mean, and then the other thing is the practicality of it, right? I mean. Like, like I mentioned, you know, like the app and everything else. Because, again, it, it's a lot about the whole food movement. Is, it's, a, it's a need. You need food. So if you're going to be doing this and you're lazy enough to not go and plant and get dirty, might as well just go and go to a, you know, a, 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 an open-air market and buy your, buy your food from, from someone who, who is not lazy like you that would do it. <laughs> That's one thing. And then the other thing is, like, then you have this big machine outside that you're worried about it being robbed or destroyed by you know molds well, I mean, or other is, bigger this is just the first step products. clearly much like you know in Tatooine they had ro- droids to a <laughs> moisture farm where this is this is the first step towards R2D2 right here <laughs> um, but sad. you're also only looking at it from farming for food this particular let's call it a droid can be used to farm more recreational plants, if you will, <laughs> as well, right? That is true, hydroponics and... I've, yes. I've thought about this because I, as well, the three of us know, and I've, I've had an idea for a business, <laughs> which I'm not going to get into here, mm-hmm. not going to get into here, but I'm just saying, you know, this is quite cool. Uh-huh, now, now the picture is complete. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But you know, it's it's kind of weird to me, um, uh, and and in general, farming, just you know, mm-hmm. your where the most of our food is grown. I think it's quite weird. Uh, people don't equate with uh, the amount of food that they have in their refrigerators and on their table, how much uh, petroleum goes into getting that food to your table. So. When you are, uh, you know, a tractor in the field that's plowing the field mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, when you're planting the seeds and the harvester comes through and collects it and the trucks are there collecting it, there is a tremendous amount of, of fossil fuel that is yes. used in yeah. the, in the uh, production of our food uh, so, uh, sources. Uh, even, you know, just conventionally, the regular farm. Yeah. So when we are growing stuff in the backyard, it is, you know, walking. You walk out there and you do stuff and then you walk back and you get a can of water. And we collect rainwater. So when we water our garden, we are watering with rainwater. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing to me is adding another reason to use electricity yes. in your backyard, which is kind of... It's kind of weird. I'm not saying I don't like the idea because I do. That's, what, that's why. <laughs> just put solar panels. Just put solar panels. That's why I'm so mixed about it because I love the idea that somebody has figured out how to uh, do this uh, on an on a automated level. I love that. 
but it's so weird because I, I, since I do it manually, I can't imagine not doing all that manual work that I that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like you just said, the the farmers market that we used to go to, the guy drove what like eighty miles to get into the city to come sell his things, and yeah. I mean, look at all the gas he's spending just coming to sell his stuff. So anybody could use this machine to farm in their backyard. I think that there's some there's something to that. So I'll give you a really so now I'm gonna turn the turn the tables. So let's say there's a there's you know a, an avid someone who has been growing, you know, f- they're, you know, planting outside and their food outside their yard all the time, and then they get uh, into a, an accident and they can no longer do that. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a great product for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, in that regard, I think I agree. So with I that. think that that would be really. That's, I think that's pretty good in in, in that sense. And and there's probably and you know for the elderly population that uh, you know like they have um uh yeah they can't you know use their arms so well they you know just not being outside for that long and yeah yeah so I think that that, that, that yeah so that I would say yes I'm glad you've come around to my way of thinking <laughs> <laughs> it's right. a, it's an accessibility tool yes that's what I'm saying. Yes, and it's for ADA purposes. Oh, here we go. Now they're going to mandate it in the backyard. Yes. <laughs> do I have to provide a ramp to it as well? Yes, you, well, you would to. have to do that, uh-huh. yes. Which is, you know, like one of the things. Well, uh, well, you have an app, so technically you wouldn't even have to go out there and <laughs> look at your... Yeah, somebody has to collect it, so... Oh, that's true. So they you need have, to you add haven't taken out everything out of it yet. Yeah. Right. The cost about it too. The other thing was three thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean it's the first one. You know. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's still going on. The um, the uh, some kind of fundraising campaign. I'm not sure mm-hmm. where, but they were doing a one thousand dollar pre order for a build it yourself kit. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm not sure uh, where they are on that. Okay. It might have just expired. Yeah, I've not checked in on it. That too, would so. be a STEM project as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, cool. So that's uh, we've been recording for um, a little bit of an hour. So that's uh, I think we're gonna wrap up our all news episode as far as the news section. And uh, there's no main topic because the news was our main topic. So let's move to the product of the week. All right, let's talk about this uh, product of the week for the week, and it's a small scale vac, a small scale vacuum former. Tell us a little bit about the, the product, Ray. Sure. Um, a few episodes ago, I'll probably say maybe even eight, eight ten episodes mm-hmm. ago, we we covered a Kickstarter campaign for yep. a vacuum forming machine. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember the episode. You might. Uh, I don't remember offhand either, but I remember the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember. So. Um, it was it was interesting because we were all kind of mixed by it. Uh, you know, the vacuum former is one of those simple machines that you could make yourself. Why would you need to invest in a in a uh, crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. to create uh, something that you can make yourself? Right. So uh, it got me thinking, and and I think I mentioned quickly that these uh, small scale vacuum formers are already in existence for very very reasonable costs that are used in the dental industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, this particular website that's offering it, I'm sure you'll have a link to it, yep. uh, a website that we're not affiliated with. Again, we're not affiliated with this product. Uh, but this uh, uh, website offers all kinds of small-scale 
uh, tools and, and, uh, and machinery for your model makers or your makers in general. And they are offering this particular um, uh, self-contained small-scale vacuum former and it has a window about four inches by four inches. And it's, uh, it's the same exact one that's used in, in the dental industry, but I've never seen it for this price. Normally it sells for very close to $200. And uh, here it is at, at $120. I think it's a very good deal. It's a whole self-contained unit with vacuum and heat and everything, uh, which I think actually blows the, the lid off of the, the Kickstarter campaign that we had mentioned previously uh, in everything except for the fact that it is such a small scale. But for, I think for a lot of people that are doing small things, I think this is actually a very perfectly sized unit. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I'm still at the camp that uh, that this is something you can make yourself. I don't Absolutely, think you should have yeah. to buy it because I think you could make it for less than $189, which is what this one costs. No, 120 Oh, 120 Yeah. Oh, because it's on sale. It's on yes. sale. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so for $120, you could still make it for less than $120. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, I like it. I like the first one too. It is such a small area, though. But it is yeah. a very small area. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. Um. I, I I like it for the woman maker, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's a good price, right? I mean, it's like, I think it's a it's a really good value. It's cute. <laughs> I think that's the biggest. That, that's what I really like about it. I, there's a video to this, and I watched a video, so that kind of gives you an idea about the scale, and um. It almost reminds me like a sandwich maker, like, you know, like our breakfast sandwich maker. It does look like an appliance. Bought, like, <laughs> it looks like an appliance. Yeah. And um, how, it, how it works, it's pretty easy, too. Um, and, you know, from, from what, we, what we talked about before from the prior vacuum machine that, that we saw, I, I was having a hard time um, visualizing, understanding the whole process and everything else. So... When I saw this, I was like, oh, so that's exactly what this does. That's what a form maker is, a forming machine is. And, um, and yes, I can use this for multiple things for, you know, for making the soap, you know, the artisanal soap and the artisanal chocolates and all this other stuff. So I, I definitely think for the, for the woman makers out there, this is something good. And, and the website, I think it's great. Right. It's a great resource to, to have something like this. You always have these really good finds as far as um, places to shop. And this one has everything that a, a maker would need. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's not for everybody, but if you don't have uh, tools and you don't know how to get started and um, you, don't, you don't need anything that big, this will get you going the minute it arrives, you know, at your house. So I, I do have an issue, of course, with the size because it's not very practical for most things. But for tiny parts, you know, I would say, uh, what do you think? Like a Hot Wheels size parts is the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would think, I mean, you could even make something, uh, I mean, eight and a half by 11, right? That's what I read? That's what I remember uh, Four by four. It's four, four inch, by four, four, four inch. Four. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay, it's the dimensions of the height. Oh, that was the height. Okay. Yeah. Um, the yeah, it's that. very small. It is very small. You're not going to make a lot with that other than maybe making molds for like chocolates or things like that, I would think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're a yeah, baker, you know, I, if, you, if, you, if you do um, cake design. 
Yeah, and, and I would say you could start with this, for sure, and then eventually move on to a bigger one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. Good product. Yeah. I'm done with it. I've been trying to find where it was that we mentioned the previous vacuum former, but I couldn't find it, so I'm just going to let it go. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good product. I, I As I had with the previous one, my issue is still that you can make a bigger one for cheaper than this. And a lot of the other parts that you would have to make to make it yourself, you can use for other stuff. So Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the things with that one that we mentioned before is that you still needed to have your own... Um, your own vacuum, right? Vacuum, yeah. Right. You, you, needed, you still needed to have the other half of the whole process. <laughs> which is why uh, this particular one caught my attention uh, because it was self-contained. Good product of the week. Let's move on to our next segment, which is what are we working on? All right, so uh, this week and what are we working on, Nick? It's sort of a little bit of an announcement as well. Who, Claudia, you want to announce this? What we've been working on? We've all been working on? Yeah, well, first of all, our website is up and running. Um, www, you actually have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> at made, madepodcast.com. And uh, one of the reasons why we, you know, rush in the... Um, the pod, um, on our website is because we have been submitting for um, attending for us to attend and exhibit um, our projects and specifically our podcast at uh, various fairs that are related to makers um, here locally and also um, nationally. So hopefully we will be hearing back uh, from our um, applications and see how if we if we've been accepted to them and um, we look forward to meeting more makers, uh, featuring more of these events that are that are very good for uh, the community itself, right? The the makers community, the creative community, the designer community, even the architect community, because that's one of the things that we're highlighting. That you know, all three of us are architects and we have that background and we are participating in this whole movement. So that is. That is definitely something really cool and, you know, just representing um, uh, people like us, just the average folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there. hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll have a couple of announcements to make of places we're going to be at. Yes. Yeah. Great. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right, the other thing that we've all been working on that is actually going to lead into next week's show is uh, the very first, the first annual <laughs> made podcast I like that. challenge. Right, so we've all been working on individual projects, but all the same type of project, right? Yes. So why don't you tell us what we've been working on, right? Well, you know what? I like that because that's the first time we've mentioned that this might be a first annual, that we might do this on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I figured, you know, it's the first one, so it's just the first annual. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how like successful that. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so we've all been uh, working independently, but mm-hmm. towards the same goal in the design and building of a lamp. Yeah. And I think all three of us have kind of gone in, in different directions. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know we're going to cover it more detail next week. Yes. But uh, if the listeners are interested, uh, I think it'll be a very interesting show next week. Yeah, I think it'll definitely be, it'll be a very heavy uh, making show. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we yeah. look forward to it. Project-driven. 
yeah, we look forward to sort of sharing this project with you all. And, uh, and yeah, we'll talk more about it next week in that sense. Very cool. What about anything else you guys have been working on individually? Um, I'll, I'll say something really quick. I mean, I've been talking about a lot of climate adaptation and resiliency. So one of the things that I'm going to be working on this and next week is uh, there's a climate-ready DC action plan that the city has dropped on the community. Uh, you know, basically saying, hey, we've been working on this and we worked on it in 2013 and 2014 and two years later we're ready with our plan we haven't talked to anybody about it and we need you to approve it mm. and uh, comment on it in the next four weeks oh very nice so how wonderful yeah. right um, how typical yeah how very mm. typical of them so and of course you know like climate ad climate adaptation one of the things that i've been mentioning is that uh it affects communities that are vulnerable the most because they're the ones that are not ready. Uh, specifically, like we mentioned, you know, like the mobile homes and, you know, you know, communities of low income, low income communities. So, yeah, so that's one of the things that we that I'm going to be working for, um, working on and advocating for um, for these communities so that they can have a say and that this this plan actually slows down and actually includes the community's issues and everybody's understanding. I mean, everybody wants a, a good plan is this just can't be done this way hmm. so yeah so that's so much that's not so much that's more on the policy side but it is making um making a difference mm -hmm. i guess yeah yeah i like it all right Ray, what about you anything you want to mention uh no i mean uh, we mentioned the lamp and uh because i think um uh, i finished my lamp first so uh, i that's what i was working on this past week Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but other than that, I really haven't had any chance to do any other projects other than other than the nine to five. No. Yeah. yeah. Which is already Which is making, making more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> making yeah. more stuff and making like really big stuff and really yeah. cool stuff. And I know you had mentioned you may do a, a tour of the the metal shop. You haven't done that yet. Um, I did one a while back, uh, but I I have done another one. I just haven't edited uh, mm. the video, which um, which shows uh, a quick tour through the shop and some of the projects that we have underway um the sh my shop at home i did do a, a tour yeah. of yeah and um, i've seen that yeah people should check it out on ray's uh, youtube page yeah we'll post it on the website too yep cool 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 yeah and uh other than the lamp i've been starting to do some modeling on some uh some of the model kits that i'm starting to work on so we'll see how that goes oh yeah did you finish the i guess the garbage can Man, I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Not a garbage. He's actually a battery, which is kind of funny because you know I, I'm working on uh, this is a particular Star Wars um, droid, if you will. And I actually used to think the same thing when I first saw it. I was like, oh, what do they have a garbage can walking around? <laughs> but it's a, it's a, actually a robot. That the whole point is it's a battery that you can plug into. Oh. Um, See, I thought it was like Oscar the Grouch of droids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then, unfortunately, oh. that's not what it is. That would be pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it, it sort of defeats the purpose of having a battery when it's a robot that's using, theoretically, using the, using the power yeah. of the battery, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's part of the movies. So, all right, well, good. It's been a good show. Let's uh, tell people where they can hear more about us. Uh, thecityecologist.com and at thecityecologist.com. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, Ray, of course, we have links to his YouTube page and his Facebook group. What's in your Facebook group, Ray? It's the homemade lathes. It's, uh, we cover how to get started on making your own lathe at home. Yep. Very cool. Very cool uh, group. You guys should check it out. And uh, you can find me at City Aperture, both on Twitter and on the internet. So, cool. Well, guys, I think it's a good episode. All news. I like it. Yes. We should do this uh, more often sometime. Yeah, we can have yeah, like a good. once a month or something. I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, extreme news. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you maker. know what? That should be it. Yes. yes. <laughs> the main podcast. Extreme, stream, stream. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to work on that audio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was pretty I, good, though. <laughs> you like that? Good. I like that. Yeah. And let us know if you guys like this format. You know, we're open to suggestions. So let us know what you guys think. Yeah, send us comments. And, uh, and Ray's still waiting for some, uh, some, some complaints. complaints. Yes. Complaints. Address yes. them to me, please. Yes. And you can find the email on uh, madepodcast.com. Yeah, or madepodcast at gmail. Cool. So we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.